Thank you, Pat Malloy Berthelot. Good to have you back with us, filling in for Nate Burbank today. Pat was organist here for many, many years, and it's good to have you back with us. One of my favorite hymns, too, This Is My Father's World. You know, Richard talked about the hymnals that are coming out and how excited he is when a, a hymnal comes out. I don't know anyone who loves hymnals more than Richard. I think that's, that's true. He's got a whole collection of them in his office, and he truly loves them. The paper hymnals, the, the actual hardback hymnals, and I'm thankful to be in a church where we sing the hymns of our faith and where my children are learning to, to sing hymns and to, to learn the rich theology, and Richard loves the text of these hymns too, and that's what he's so excited about is the, the text. And when we were looking for hymns that fit today's service, it was clear that there's not a lot of hymns about the Holy Spirit. Today we are engaging in this doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and we looked under the topical index in the hymnal, and there's about 10 songs, and about five of them are really a stretch. You can't really say they're really about the Holy Spirit, I don't think. But uh, when we were looking at these, uh, Jim Cazort was in the, uh, the, the choir room with us on Wednesday morning, and he said, well, look, here's a song about the Holy Spirit. So the choir is going to sing a beautiful anthem um, by the Gettys about the Holy Spirit after the sermon today. And I, I hope it'll be a moving time for us all as we sit and soak in the presence of the Holy Spirit who is present among us now. Our text for today comes from John chapter 14, and you can't really tell in the, uh, you know, the outline of the Apostles' Creed that you have here, but it's really divided into three sections. And the third paragraph of the Creed, the third section, starts with this line, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And it's divided into those three sections because we worship a triune God. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's the first paragraph. And then Jesus Christ, his only son. That's the second paragraph. Today we start the final one. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So before we dive into this text from John 14, verses 15 to 26, I, I want to set the scene here. It's, it's the Last Supper Jesus is gathered with his disciples in the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal together. And it's an incredibly crucial time when, when Jesus is giving these last words of instruction to his disciples. And he begins their time together by kneeling and, and taking his outer robe off and, and washing the feet of all of the disciples. And then he gives them these teachings about how to live out this new covenant of love as the new faith community in the world, the church. And the disciples know the urgency of the hour, and they ask Jesus these frantic questions, especially Peter. I love Peter. He just can't keep his mouth shut. Peter says, wait, 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 why are you washing my feet? I should, I should be washing yours. And, and Jesus and him have these debates, and then he says, hold on, Jesus, where are you going? Why can't we follow you? We, we want to go with you. And Jesus patiently and lovingly, grace, graciously answers all of Peter's questions and the other disciples, and he gives them words of encouragement. And, and nothing could be more encouraging to a group of panicked and scared disciples than the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to read this morning. So let's stand in honor of God's word if you're able to. Remember, sitting will kill you, so it's good to stand as I read our text together from John 14, hear the word of the Lord. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Okay, I know that trying to address comprehensively the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in one half hour is like trying to drink from a fire hose, but we're going to do our best today. I, th- I think it's true that, as I mentioned in the hymnal, there's so few texts on the Holy Spirit. I think it's true that the Spirit of God has become a largely ignored subject in a lot of Baptist churches, a lot of evangelical churches. It, it makes us uncomfortable. It, it might scare us even a little bit to talk about the supernatural work of the Holy Ghost moving among us. We prefer to stick with subjects that we think we can handle. I've, I've heard it said that in a lot of evangelical churches, we're guilty of worshiping the Holy Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. We elevate the Word of God over God himself. We place God the Spirit with a book. Author and pastor Francis Chan wrote a little book called Forgotten God about the Holy Spirit. Forgotten God. The subtitle is Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. In this little book, Chan talks about the fear that a lot of Christians have when it comes to embracing God the Spirit. And and maybe that, that fear comes from the idea that we're afraid that God won't actually move in our lives, that he won't show up. Maybe God won't really come and and, and let us experience his power and his greatness among us, his presence with us in a very real way. But Chan says that's probably not the biggest fear for us when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Chan says that what we're really afraid of is that God will show up. That God will actually come into our lives in power and mess everything up that we have going. The real fear is that this whole Christianity thing can be perfectly manageable when you reduce it just to saying a prayer, God save me, the ABCs, getting baptized, 
going to church, maybe put a little something in the offering plate when it comes around, maybe even help with Fall Fest every once in a while. That's all fine. That makes me feel good, and that fits into my plans for my life. But when we talk about God the Spirit actually moving into our lives, when we talk about living a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led life, I think that's what scares us. Walking with the Spirit intentionally means inviting this awesome power into your life. And that kind of power radically changes us from the inside out. And even scarier, it compels us to do radical things that we would not otherwise do for the Lord. Things that will affect our lives in dramatic ways. But the Holy Spirit is an absolutely essential doctrine for us to embrace. If we're going to live as God's people in this world, it's clear from Scripture, the only way to do that is by the Spirit of God. So we see in the creed here that God the Father in the first paragraph is the, the maker of heaven and earth. He's the creator. And then we see that God the Son rescues a fallen creation from sin and from death. And now we see in this final paragraph that God the Spirit is the one who's recreating this world. He's the one who's working in us until the Son returns and finishes making all things new. I think Mark Anderson said that it was Holy Spirit until we're Holy Spirit when Jesus returns and makes us whole. That was a good little line, a good reminder. We go in the creed from the accomplished finished work of Jesus in that middle section to the ongoing work now, the current work of the Holy Spirit who applies the work that Jesus has done into our world today. And the exciting thing about this section in the creed is this is our part. We didn't get to live in the first century, but this is where we show up in the creed, the church. This is the chapter of the, the story of everything ever that we are living in right now. It's the, the church phase of the creed. It's, it's after Jesus' work, but it's before the, the final resurrection and the age that is to come. But the Spirit is not just suddenly working in, in our current age. The Holy Trinity has always existed before all time as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. The Spirit was there from the beginning, working along with God the Father and God the Son. Look at the second verse of the Bible. Genesis 1 verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's Spirit with a capital S, right? The third person of the Trinity who was present in creation, the very beginning. And the Spirit's always working throughout the Old Testament. We see that it's the Spirit who inspires the prophets of the Old Testament. Isaiah 61, verse 1, a verse that Jesus later quotes in his hometown, the synagogue, written 800 years before that. Isaiah says, The Spirit, capital S, of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. 
the Spirit is, is working through Isaiah and fully co- completes this verse through Jesus Christ. You also see that the Spirit enables God's servants like the kings and the judges throughout the Old Testament. You see in Judges chapter 14, verse 19, about Samson. The Holy Spirit comes upon Samson and enables him to be the vehicle of God's plan for Israel. It says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town. That was by the Spirit working in God's servants. The Holy Spirit also is responsible for sustaining God's people as they strive for holiness, to be the the set-apart chosen people of God. That's why King David prayed in Psalm 51, verse 11, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. But that's all fine for the Old Testament, right? But we're New Covenant, New Testament believers, right? How do we relate to the Holy Spirit now? Well, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about with his disciples in the upper room that night. They ate the Passover meal together. Yes, the Spirit had been active in the Old Testament. It was there guiding and empowering, enabling God's people. But the Holy Spirit was about to be unleashed on the world in a whole new kind of way. Ten days after Jesus ascended back into heaven, this is 50 days after the Passover meal, the Last Supper, 50 days after Passover was the Feast of Pentecost. And all the Jewish pilgrims had gathered in Jerusalem, as they do for the the festivals, for the Feast of Pentecost. And the book of Acts tells us that there were about 120 believers in Jesus, followers of the way, who had gathered probably in the same room where Jesus and his disciples ate the Last Supper. So look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together, these 120 believers, in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Such a powerful, important thing that happens here at Pentecost. The Spirit shows up in power. And we just sang, breathe on me, Holy Spirit, breathe on me. We, we think of the Spirit as a, a gentle breeze, but here it's not. Here the Spirit shows up. You know what people say about tornadoes, how the sound is? I hear it compared a lot of times to a freight train. I hope you're never in a situation where you have to hear that sound But I imagine that's the sound that the disciples heard when the Spirit showed up as a mighty, rushing wind. This isn't a gentle breath. This is a freight train. It's the fulfillment of what Jesus told them would happen in chapter 14 of John, just a few days before this, a couple months earlier. Again, just before the ascension in Acts chapter 1, you you see the risen Christ talking with his disciples And he promises them he's going to send the Spirit. And it's going to be powerful. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth. And even that promise of Jesus shouldn't have come as a big shock or a big surprise to the disciples. The Holy Spirit's arrival in power was prophesied many centuries before this by the prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2 verse 28 says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. By the way, the emphasis here on male and female is part of why we have women deacons and leaders and teachers here at Woodmont Baptist Church because God pours out his spirit on men and women equally in those days in order to to speak and teach prophetically for those who have that gift. So Jesus knows that this outpouring of the spirit is coming and that this great movement of the Holy Spirit is going to be the primary force that empowers the new community, the church, to go forth and to serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus, the body of Christ. That's why Jesus tells his disciples that it's actually a good thing for them that he is leaving. Remember, I talked about this a couple weeks ago when he ascended. They were all so sad. They were panicked. What are we going to do without Jesus? But he tells them at the Passover meal in John chapter 16, it's going to be for their good and for God's glory. John 16.5 says, Now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's a huge claim that Jesus makes. He tells his disciples here, it's actually good that I'm leaving. And they were like, no way, we can't believe that. Do you believe that today? Wouldn't you rather have Jesus physically with us? What would you do if Jesus was announced to have arrived in Israel? He's here in person. I'd book the first ticket out of here to Israel. Wouldn't you? So would a billion other Christians in this world. You couldn't get a flight. There'd be no way. You'd have to try to book a boat or something. There'd be lines that lasted for months, years, in order to have an audience with Jesus to see him face to face. It would be a logistical nightmare. That's why Jesus says this is going to be for your good because we have the Holy Spirit with us right here and right now. He is fully accessible through prayer in any moment. And the Holy Spirit moves among us in ways that are not bound by space or by time, ways that we can't even begin to fathom, all for our good and for God's glory. And it's because the Spirit is our helper, Jesus says. John 14, 16, Jesus says, the Father will send another helper to be with us forever. It's important to see here that there are two words in Greek for another. One word is heteros, and one word is alos. 
And heteros means another of a different kind. And alos means another of the same kind. It'd be like if I went to Kroger down here and bought 200 red delicious apples. That's my favorite apple, red delicious. I love them. They only have 200, so I pass them all out and we're short, so I have to get a, a, another 100 or so Granny Smith apples, which I don't like. They're sour and, you know, green. I don't like them. Good in pies, right? I hear they're good in pies, but I'm not a fan. So those of you that would have the red delicious apple, like me, of course, because I would choose a red delicious one, would have an alos apple. You would have another of the same kind as me. And those with a Granny Smith apple would have a heteros apple. It's still an apple, but it's of a different kind. The word that Jesus uses here when he says another helper is alos, meaning I'm going to send one to you of the same kind as me. It won't be something different. It'll be just like me, full of grace, full of truth, full of power, full of love. That's why it's better for us that Jesus goes away and sends us the Holy Spirit because now we all have access to one exactly like Jesus. We have access to a power just like Jesus, of the same kind as Jesus because this Holy Spirit who lives inside of God's children is a part of the same essence, the same Holy Trinity as God the Father and God the Son. And the word that's translated here for helper in John 14 is parakletos in Greek. The paraclete sometimes the Spirit's referred to. In, in my Bible, I, I preach from the ESV, the English Standard Version. It's, it says, Helper, I know some other translations may say advocate or comforter or counselor, but the word parakletos comes from two Greek words. Para means alongside of, like parallel lines, right? And then kletos means called. So the paraclete is one who is called alongside of us, one who is an advocate for us, one who speaks for us. It's the same word that was used in ancient Greek to, to, to mean a, a lawyer, someone who was a legal counselor in court who argued the case for someone else and who stood and spoke for that person. That's what God the Spirit does for us today. He fights our battles for us. We need only be still. What else is the Spirit doing in us? Well, we see in Scripture that He's cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, more and more so each day as we grow in grace. Galatians 5, says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. I got the song in my head. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. As we walk in step with the Spirit, these fruits are cultivated in us. They cannot be produced by effort or by practice or trying really hard. Patience, patience. I'm going to be more patient. It's not like a golf swing or, or learning guitar. It's not a skill that can be practiced. It's only by the Holy Spirit moving in us, walking in step with the Spirit, that these fruits are manifested in us, not through our effort, but through God's. They're the work solely 
of the Spirit working in us to bring these characteristics to fruition in our lives. And these, these things are cultivated in us not so that we can get a promotion at work, not so we can live our best lives now and be happier or more productive. That's not the point. The Spirit works in us to accomplish God's good purposes for the world through us. Not only does he bear these fruits in us, but he also gives us certain gifts that are to be used for the advancement of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. It compels and empowers believers to serve God in this world. We call these gifts spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 talks a lot about spiritual gifts. Starting in verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Remember Jesus said, I will show you myself through the Spirit. For the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between the Spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who portions to each one individually as he wills. We see that these amazing gifts, miraculous, literally, gifts are given to us, the church, in order to empower us for the good of everyone, to, to make our churches power-filled and productive for the kingdom. Many churches get this crucial doctrine of the Holy Spirit messed up and mixed up and confused. I want to make sure that we're not one of those. A lot of really conservative churches do what Paul says in 1, Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 and quench the Spirit. Cessationists who believe that these gifts of the Spirit have ceased now in this age. I am not a cessationist. I want to make sure that we embrace the work of the Holy Spirit among us. The work the giftings that he brings to us. We can't downplay the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit because we will be a powerless church if we do that. There's also some charismatic churches that put such an emphasis on having an emotional experience of the Spirit and having that high each time they come to church or encounter him that they lose the truth of what the Bible says about the Spirit's true purpose. The, the mutual edification of God's people for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom on earth. I've prayed that Woodmont would be a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit, where people who are members of our church are spiritual people. There are plenty of people in our world that just are not spiritual people. They play at church, but they don't really have the Holy Spirit moving in their lives. To say that we believe in the Holy Spirit, like you all just did as we stood and recited the creed together, to say that we believe in the Holy Spirit means three things for believers. And I'll close with this. First, it means that we claim to have a personal relationship 
with Jesus Christ, the Christ of the New Testament, across space and time, because we have the Holy Spirit who is just like him, living in us. We know Christ through his spirit. That's the whole point of being a Christian. Paul says to know Christ is is greater than anything else this world has to give us. And that is only done through the Holy Spirit. We have a personal relationship with Jesus because of the Spirit. Second, to say we believe in the Spirit means that we are each indwelt by this Spirit who now leads us and compels us on a daily basis. The Spirit living in us is working out God's purposes in our lives and cultivating fruit of the Spirit in us, giving us spiritual gifts to use for God's service. Finally, to believe in the Holy Spirit means that we believe that God has placed his seal of salvation on our hearts, that we are truly the redeemed, fully adopted and beloved children of God now. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Christ also, when you heard of the truth, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The assurance of our salvation lies in the fact that the Holy Spirit lives and moves within us. So maybe you're here today and you realize that you've never had an experience of the Holy Spirit at all. Maybe you have had an experience of the Holy Spirit, but now your heart has grown so calloused, beaten down by the troubles of this world, and you've grown numb to the Spirit's voice in your life. And you know it's time to surrender anew to the Holy Spirit and to have that good fruit that he wants to bear in your life. Maybe you've never used your spiritual gift. Maybe you don't know what your spiritual gift is. And you want to talk to someone about that. And maybe you feel compelled to use your gift here at Woodmont to serve the body of Christ, to serve the Lord Jesus through using the gift he's given you. Maybe you're fearful of the consequences of inviting supernatural power into your life. I can tell you with full assurance that the Holy Spirit wants what is best for you and what's best for our world and to fully trust the movement of the Spirit in your life, to allow the Spirit to move in power. We have to abandon any fear of what God is going to do through the Spirit. Whatever your relationship is to God the Spirit, Let's go to him now in a word of prayer. Oh, Lord God, we ask you to breathe on us, and we don't even know what we're asking, that a freight train could be coming right for us, a freight train of grace and goodness and power. God, so many churches in our world lack the power of the supernatural, of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, we know that you work miracles, that you are the God of miracle working. You do these through the Holy Spirit. We long to see the miraculous movement of the Spirit in our lives, individually and corporately as Woodmont Baptist Church, oh God. When we invite you to come and move in power, God. Again, we don't fully realize what we're asking, 
but we pray that you would help us to be spiritual people who walk in step with the Spirit, who manifest the fruits of the Spirit in our lives more and more as we grow in grace and learn to walk step by step with you, O God, the Spirit. We pray now that you would come and stir our hearts as only you can in your supernatural way. We pray these things in the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Testament to the work of the Holy Spirit. That is our prayer, that the Holy Spirit would come and breathe new life into Woodmont Baptist Church, into me personally as pastor, into each and every one of you. We are blessed with some incredibly spiritual, godly people in this church. I love when I'm in a meeting or a committee or whatever, and people say, well, what was the Lord leading us to do? What is the Spirit prompting us to do? What does God the Spirit say about this? Pam Popkin, who's a spiritual director, she's trained and has a certificate from the Lipscomb Institute of Spiritual Direction, came and met with our staff last Tuesday, and we just had a time of spiritual direction for an hour together as a staff. It was a beautiful thing. If you have not experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, leading you to Christ, the only way you can come to Christ is through God the Spirit. Then I invite you to, to ask him to come and move in your heart today, to have a real encounter with God, the living Holy Spirit, who is accessible and available to all today. Let's stand. We're going to sing our hymn of invitation. I'm going to be here at the front to receive you.